with Punky Brewster, it seemed like anything was possible. Is a real abandoned child going to figure out how to like climb a fire escape into an abandoned apartment? So long, Fenster. Punky Brewster's going home. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast. A podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know-nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. If you're looking for a little color and a whole lot of spunk, you've come to the right episode. Today, we're revisiting 1984's Punky Brewster, specifically season one, episodes one through three, Punky Finds a Home. We also catch up with the grown-up, still punk, Punky Brewster reboot that premiered just last month on the Peacock Streaming Network. If you're enjoying the pod, we invite you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. Kate. Lori. Every time I turn around. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, man. <laughs> when I heard that opening, I was like, oh, I forgot this song. I did too. But then this, like the second you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah. And I've had it in my head for like five days. And it's making me like I'm slowly uh, going insane. Yeah. Sometimes there's such thing as too much of a good thing. <laughs> I was so surprised when I started watching the, the original Punky. I'm like, did I watch this on repeat all throughout my childhood? Or did it just make that strong of an impression on me? Because there were just like ways she said things. I was like, oh, right. Like, I loved that when I was a kid. Like, it was so familiar. I think it was different than most shows that were on at the time. It definitely was. I had the exact same experience. When I think about Punky Brewster, I think about mismatched shoes. Yes. Or I think about cherry locked in a fridge, or I think about all alone, Henry, all, all alone. alone. <laughs> there are certain specific memories I have about Punky Brewster, but in watching season one, episodes one through three, I was like, oh my God, I remember that line. I know. It's almost like they got like imprinted on my brain permanently mm -hmm. and I sort of haven't accessed them for a while. But like when you jogged my brain a little bit, I was like, oh yeah, I know this exactly. It was a very surreal experience for me. It was much the same for me. And I was thinking about this. Okay, so Punky Brewster premiered September 16th, 1984 on NBC. We were eight, mm -hmm. but I think part of the reason it made such a big and lasting impression on us is because Soleil Moon Fry was born August 1976. Okay. She's our age. She's our people. She was born in Glendora, California. She was? She was. I didn't know that. We are San Gabriel Valley girls. Yeah. We were the target. Oh, we were. We were totally their demographic that they were aiming. She had elements of all of us in her in that she was spunky and independent and precocious, maybe in ways that we maybe wanted to be, but couldn't fully express. And she was going through some hard things. And, you know, we could all relate to Punky on some level in that way. And Punky felt really personal. It did. I'm trying to think if up until this point, had there been a show where it revolved around a young girl as sort of the main character, had that happened up until that point? I don't know. Like maybe Punky Brewster was really about Punky. 
And I don't know, it's early and I put together a lot of Ikea furniture yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm kind of exhausted and I feel like you can hear it in my voice. You're done assembling furniture. So assembling thoughts is a little challenging right now. Right. Going back to what you were saying, though, about how the show was so different for the time. The NBC programming chief, Brandon Tartikoff, needed to create a kids show. So he talked to writer David Duclan about it. Duclan told TV Guide in 1986 that he researched current issues and discovered that there were many young girls being abandoned which is terrible. Oh my gosh. So my mom was in school to become a social worker just before she got sick and eventually passed away. And I mean, I think that it was happening. Like, I feel like that was something on her radar. That's wild. It probably continues to happen. I'm wondering, was there something at that particular time that made it? I don't know. But I do know that even if you couldn't relate to Punky specifically in this way of being abandoned by both parents, kids were experiencing loss of their parents in a multitude of ways like divorce or a parent getting sick. So it was a show that really, I think, spoke to young people saying, hey, I'm one of those people that doesn't have necessarily a really stable family life at home. I'm having to sort of create my family or have family come from many different places. Yeah, like this is no longer like the leave it to beaver, eight is enough, happy family unit. Right. And so I think that was the thing that really felt so personal about Punky Brewster. It was like, okay, here's a girl who's been through some really hard things and she still has spirit and moxie and a level of positivity to her that we could all sort of hold on to. And I think Punky gave people hope. I really do. I mean, not to sound trite, With Punky Brewster, it seemed like anything was possible. Yeah, I mean, she really took a difficult situation and and sort of persevered and and made the best of it. And maybe that's a message, even though it's a little fantastical, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, is a real abandoned child going to figure out how to like climb a fire escape into an abandoned apartment? (laughs) Well, she did. (laughs) With her dog, which I was like, what was her plan when Brandon got bigger? (laughs) She wasn't going to be able to like lift him up (laughs) through that little rope pulley system she had. It was a simple machine. Right. But uh, I used simple machines a lot yesterday when I was putting (laughs) together my Ikea furniture. You know, it's funny, like in the intro, we see Punky helping a lady bring her groceries to her car, you know, for money. She was hustling to make She was hustling. And, And then we see Henry leave his photography studio and he full on just steps over a homeless man. Did you see that? That was so (laughs) weird. That seems really insensitive to me. Well, that's probably what they were trying to, you know, show with that is that like he just, it just was not in his awareness. The series ran from 1984 to 1988 and there were 88 episodes. I feel like it ran so much longer than that. But think about it. It ran from when we were eight until we were 12. Yeah. And I remember like later punky episodes, she's a young preteen. There's a storyline about a bra and she's dressing like fashionably and, you know, she likes a boy and there is a lot of change that happens in those four years. But to see episodes one through three, she's so young. She's so young. Yeah. And this is interesting. 
Brandon Tartikoff. He's the NBC programming chief. He named the series after a childhood crush of his, and it was a girl named Peyton who went by Punky, Peyton Brewster. Interesting. And Punky's dog, Brandon, was named after Tartikoff himself. Brandon Tartikoff. Ah, I see. See, there you go. <laughs> well, the dog's real name was Sandy, just so you know. So that's really interesting because as I was watching, I was like, this is like similar to the storyline of Annie, Annie, except for the fact yep. that, you know, they're not rich. But I was mildly obsessed with Annie as, as a child. Was I. Uh, so... I know the storyline really well. And like, of course, we all know that her dog was Sandy. So that's kind of an interesting little twist. But like, even to the point where she's like, okay, like I did this. And like, now I need to wash the windows. And (laughs) it's a hard knock life. Right. Yeah. And she was spunky like Annie with Moxie Mm, like Annie. With her dog. And And she was scrappy. And, you know, she was just all of those things. And honestly, the girl at Fenster Hall, the older one, I was like, you're like Pepper. Totally (laughs) Pepper. Yeah. So definitely, I feel like there's definitely some elements there that were, and probably Mr. Tartikoff was like, man, girls this age really like Annie. How can we make that a TV show? Right. (laughs) Daddy Warbucks. Henry Mortemont. Yes. (laughs) I I see similarities all over the place. Yeah. I think we can all agree Soleil Moon Fry was just adorable as Punky. And I feel like Punky was probably a lot like Soleil Moon Fry. She has said now in terms of the Punky reboot, Punky is such a part of me. I don't know where I end and she begins because we were so much the same. So to be part of a journey throughout from the beginning of this full circle or full spiral moment, as I like to call it, has been a true gift. Casting for Punky was a really big deal. They saw over 3,000 girls, young actresses for the role. Can you imagine being the casting directors? (laughs) Oh my God, right? That's a lot of little girls. Tiffany Brissett who ended up going on to play Vicky in Small Wonder, Robot Vicky. Vicky, She auditioned for the role, as did Melissa Joan Hart, of course, from Clarissa Explains It All. Well, and I think that she was a really great choice for that role because she was unique in kind of her energy and her appearance and her, I don't know, she didn't necessarily look like all the other girls. Like child actresses. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that also makes her a lot more relatable to the girls that were watching her. Because she had, like you said, like that Annie element to her or that Pippi long stocking element to her that every girl. A tomboy with a heart of gold. Absolutely. That's exactly what she was. In terms of casting for Henry, interestingly, Fred Gwynn, who played Herman Munster, mm-hmm. was up for the role. He wanted to kind of distance himself from the Munster's persona. And he was called in to audition with Soleil Moon Fry. And at the audition, she said to him, like, aren't you Herman Munster? And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this isn't the role for me. Like, even the little girl playing Punky, like, can't see past this. Well, and honestly, it was too close. It was too soon, right? Because that's all I would have been like. I'd be like, oh, look, she's living with Herman Munster. I mean, (laughs) I was a hardcore Munsters fan. Were you? Oh, yes. I was obsessed with that show. (laughs) It was so good. Now I want to go back and watch the Munsters. (laughs) I know. But Henry ended up being played by George Gaines, and he is known for Tootsie and the Police Academy films. Oh, good for him. He was great in that role. He was. It's funny because to go back and look at it, in my mind, I thought he was like 80. 
when he's in court trying to get custody of Punky, he's they say that he's 60 years old, but I looked it up. He was actually 69 in season one. Like him, the actor. Yeah, the actor. But they do portray him as older because he's like eating prunes. And I mean, I'm not saying that young people don't sometimes eat <laughs> I prunes. I eat fiber every fiber morning. Cereal. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but like, there's sort of this like stereotype that like that's something old people do. Right. And he's kind of like a little curmudgeonly. Exactly. Yeah. And so they just made him seem really old. And then they're like, he's 60. And I was like, well, that's like 16 years from where I'm at. (laughs) I think 60s different today than it was back in the day. I mean, 60s is a new 50, right? Right. When it comes to Cherry, though, David Duclan, he was the show's writer and producer. He named the character after his niece, Cherry Johnson. But she wasn't just given the role. She had to audition. Oh, so he named the character after, after her, her and then she, but like, was it like when like Tori Spelling? I know. I was thinking that too. I don't know. That's what they say. <laughs> and I want to believe it because I really like her. I do too. Yeah. I think she's great. And I think she's great in the reboot. Oh my gosh. I mean, obviously she's older than she was when she was younger, but I'm like, she <laughs> she's just older than she was when she was younger. <laughs> like, obviously that happens to all of us, but like something about her is just like, it just feels exactly the same it just feels like oh cherry like you're like cherry but you're grown up but you're still cherry whereas like punky I didn't get quite that same sense of continuity like I don't know how to explain it but I have to say of all of the characters in the reboot I think I enjoyed cherry the most I would probably agree with that too with the reboot, no shade to Soleil Moon Fry. I feel like that was kind of a tall order because those are some big mismatched shoes to fill. <laughs> Indeed, there had to be an evolution, a maturity to her character, and so like, how does that translate now as a forty-four-year-old? What does that actually look like once you've been married and have, now in the reboot she has three children, and she's a divorcee, like? How do you maintain that positivity and that spunk and spirit and still show that you are now an adult and it doesn't feel disingenuous? Right. Yeah. She she had a lot more nuance to bring. And she's also on screen almost the whole time. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I mean, and also like it was such an iconic role and coming back to it. I mean, in a sense, seems like it would be a little a little bit of pressure. (laughs) I would think so. I mean, she said, hey, someone might call it a reboot, but I really feel like this is a continuation. And she said, I've been wanting to bring back Punky forever. I always said if I was 88 years old and people still called me Punky, I would be thrilled by it. I love that because so many people do something when they're young and they kind of become known for it and then they really resent it. And I'm I'm not saying that I blame those people because I, I get how that could feel really restrictive, but I just think that there's, there's something sort of really sweet and nice to know that she created this character when she was so young and that she still really cherishes it and loves it and feels honored to be part of it. Because I think for all of us that grew up with her, like it was an important part of our coming of age. And to think that like she would grow up and like resent it, that would be hard to take. When you look at these first three episodes, Punky Finds a Home, like this is sort of like some heavy subject matter. And there was enough levity to it 
that it was enjoyable, but the subject matter was really sort of, this is an abandoned child and her mother is gone and who's going to take care of her. And these are big, scary questions for us. And why do people keep leaving her? Exactly. And Suleiman and Fry had said, over the years, the number of people that have come to me and came through the foster system that came through broken homes and share their stories about how Punky was really their family, to maintain that integrity was so important to us. She understands just from her life experience and the fan base how important this show was, even though we were all having a good chuckle at these circumstances, but they were actually kind of serious. And I I certainly would not have like had this thought at the time when I was eight to 12 years old. But I think looking back on it as an adult, one of the things that this show does, which is weird because like some of the characters are so caricature. Oh, totally. Like, and, and some of the dialogue is so sort of a little bit trite. But one of the things that it does is it presents some gritty issues and it doesn't necessarily sugarcoat them. It presents them like how some people are experiencing them. I think it's worth mentioning. Punky Brewster was trying really hard in the 80s, okay? Like they were like, there are some serious issues going on in the world that we have to talk about. There were some dark episodes of the show, Katie. There were some dark episodes. (laughs) If you guys want to go back because you can stream all of Punky Brewster for free on the Peacock Streaming Network. This is not an ad. This is in no way sponsored. (laughs) Just letting you know. Okay, all of this, by the way, happened in season two. So like- (laughs) What was up with the writers in season two? (laughs) Season two, they were like, this show's a success. We're going to tackle all the hard things. So (laughs) in season two, episodes six and seven, there were two episodes called The Perils of Punky. And this was like a Halloween two-parter. And Punky goes camping and with her friends and the kids get lost in a cave and Punky tells a ghost story. And this is when we see like Cherry with those crazy, weird glowing eyes and Alan with his messed up teeth stuck in a tree, like his face is in a tree. Oh my and it's gosh. really yes. traumatizing. I remember this episode. Okay. That was really spooky. Like that kind of messed up some kids, not going to lie. I've been reading some blog posts about it. More than the electric grandmother. I was going to say it's <laughs> some similar nightmare nostalgia. Yes. It's, it's really dark. And then there was an episode, Just Say No, season two, episode eight, where Punky and Cherry become part of a clique that wants them to use some drugs, Katie. I feel like this was so like. It was so Reagan era drugs some like bad big kid like holds out a palm full of like multicolored pills Pills. and it's like hey do you want to try my drugs all Uh, the cool kids are doing it and can i just say that like (laughs) i don't know (laughs) anyone who ever had that experience and much like in the same class that i wrote my reality bites paper for (laughs) i also wrote a paper called just say no to dare but my whole point, and, and I found research to support this, that they create this sort of other world where like the drug dealers are bad. And like, and honestly, I think in the real world, often like the drug dealer might be your best friend that you grew up with. Lori was not. I was not a drug dealer. But for some people, that was true. Like their best friend or like the kid they grew up with on their street, like turned out to be the drug dealer. So you're like, it's not this like sinister, creepy thing. It's just like, oh, that's my friend. Right. But anyway, that was, I'm sure anybody who was a child of the 80s can relate to the very strong messaging around that. And they're kind oh, of yes. give you one for free to get you hooked. <laughs> and like, 
I'm sorry. We don't mean to laugh about addiction or drug use at all, but just, but the way it was presented, the way it was presented was so unrealistic. Absolutely. There was another episode called Urban Fear, season two, episode 14. Punky learns about a serial killer in her neighborhood. And before we laugh about this, because Uh, I'm a fan of true crime and murder as much as the next true crime aficionado. We grew up in the San Gabriel Valley, and there was a time at this time, actually. I'm not I was going to say, was, a was time, it this time? Yeah. It was this time that was probably the inspiration behind it, where Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, was in our city. Yeah. He was in our city. He was on a killing spree. It was very scary. I remember posters for him in every business, everywhere we went. Oh, yeah. That was a very- We were terrified. That was, I think, a pivotal moment in most people's lives in that area at that time, because it was terrifying. One of the things that he would do is like walk in people's unlocked doors. Like Uh everybody's home, your door's unlocked. You're not worried about it. But I can remember my mom just constantly being like, you have to lock the doors. Like you have to, like we, the windows have to be locked. It was really scary. My dad used to travel for work all the time and it was just my mom and I home and we were very scared. And I remember when the night stalker was caught in the most badass way, man. A neighborhood chased his ass down. Everyone's like, enough of the terror. So when he was caught, I remember telling our next door neighbor, like they caught Richard Ramirez, they caught the Night Stalker. And she just burst into tears of relief. It was that scary. So Punky Brewster tackled it. And then of course, there is Cherry Lifesaver, season two, episode 16, where Cherry loses consciousness in an old refrigerator. And this is the iconic CPR episode with Punky and Margot bringing Cherry back through CPR. I didn't understand. All I knew were the kind of refrigerators that I had. Right. And because of these sorts of incidents, uh, there's no getting stuck in refrigerators now because they don't latch like the old fashioned ones did. Uh, My mother sat me down and had a long conversation about how you never crawl into a refrigerator that's out by the side of the road. So I do think that these episodes. Was that a real danger? Yeah, it happened to kids because, like, that you, if you have a refrigerator like that, you are supposed to take the door off before you, like, put it out at the curb to be picked up. Who knew? I did because my mom had a conversation about it with me (laughs) because of this episode. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, there was season two, episode 22. This is all season two, you guys. Accidents happen. This is about the Challenger explosion. Yeah. I remember being in class and watching that happen on live TV. I think we all do. I I mean, it was a really big deal and we saw it it in class and we all just, we were dumbstruck. And then the teacher turned off the TV. And I mean, I was at a private Christian school. We literally said nothing about it. The TV was turned off. They rolled the TV out of the room. And you guys just went back to class? I mean, we didn't know how to process this. We were how old were we? Nine? No, I think it was fourth grade, right? I just remember looking around the classroom, everyone looking at each other, and we went right back to learning. That's super weird. I thought you were going to be like, oh, like we all like prayed or something. <laughs> nope. We didn't do anything. Wow. I remember like, of course, we were like all excited and we were watching it. You know, they pulled the giant like rolly thing with the TV. That's the exactly what it was with the strap on top. <laughs> And no, it was going to be a good day until it wasn't. And it sort of was this moment where you're like, oh, wait, that seems weird. Is that maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what's supposed to happen. And then you were like, no, No. that's not what's supposed to happen. Yeah. 
But I remember my teacher turning it off and saying, like, we're going to have to find out what happened. Obviously, season two of Punky is absolutely unhinged with all this darkness. But I do think it was the first time that network TV really recognized, hey, kids are watching. These things are happening in real time, in real life. We're going to talk about it and we're going to hold space for young people through Punky's experiences, process these things, not hide them, not be afraid of them. And you can agree or disagree with the way that's all handled through the storyline. But the fact that it's even being addressed at all as maybe a starting point, at least for kids to talk about these issues with their parents was really sort of revolutionary because they weren't doing that. No. And I think that they treated their young audience like people, not just like, oh, they're kids. Exactly. We were processing all of these things. And I never, I didn't even realize the part about the serial killer, but like, yeah, like we were processing scary things in our world. I think that it was also a time culturally where maybe parents were like, oh, oh, children don't need to see this, but we were latchkey. We were home and we were watching TV. I think the earlier generation could do a better job of sheltering kids from the stuff that was going on. And maybe if you didn't live in the San Gabriel Valley or, or where the killing sprees, for example, of the Night Stalker were happening, maybe you could be a little sheltered from that. But like for us, this was happening in our neighborhood. It was really real. There was no sheltering. Plus, of course, we were home and we were babysat by TV. So we were seeing these things. We knew about this stuff. To have your parents not talk about it, to have nobody talk about it was not helpful. Right. Because these were stressful things. And I think that people often underestimate how much kids pick up. I mean, maybe maybe now it's different because like we have 24-7 news and the internet. And it's, so it's very hard for children to not be aware of things that are going on. Yes. So yeah, I mean, kids are seeing this and they're trying to make sense of it in their kid brains. And so I think the nice thing that was modeled on Punky Brewster was, hey, here's this thing happening. And there are adults in your life that can walk you through it. And hopefully that's true for, I mean, that's not true for everybody, but at least for those of us who did have adults in our life, it sort of normalized this idea of like, oh, if you're scared, you can talk to somebody in your life and they can help you through this. Like you don't have to process it on your own. And what I loved about it too was Maybe for parents who grew up with parents who didn't talk openly with them, because I mean, okay, our parents were boomers. Their right. parents were of the greatest generation. Often called the silent generation, okay. right? The there you go. Generation. They're not talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so if they did not have a proper model for how to talk to children about difficult subjects, they wouldn't necessarily be the parents who were talking to their children. But what I loved about Punky Brewster was Punky had Henry, who was not her parent. Right. He was a trusted adult in her life. Right. She had Mrs. Johnson. Yeah. She had her teacher. Do you remember her teacher? That was a big part of her life. She had a network of trusted adults around her that helped her process difficult things. So even if you were a kid in the 80s who didn't have a parent. Right. Or a parent who was trustworthy for whatever reason. Right. It showed the way, if you will, of how to forge open communication with trusted adults, like maybe a coach, maybe a teacher, maybe, you know, someone in some sort of authority who could help guide you through. I feel like regardless of your family situation, Punky could teach you something. And it was entertaining and it was fun and funny. It didn't feel like someone was teaching you a lesson. Right. Um, I think that that's a critical part of it too. (laughs) 
but I mean, even Cherry's character, right? She's being raised by her grandmother. And that's the reality for lots of kids. Oh, yeah. And you don't often see that reflected on TV. It was progressive. Yeah, they got a lot of things right with this to sort of open up a different world to kids that they hadn't really gotten the opportunity to see, but that they may have been living. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. So let's talk about Punky Finds a Home. So we open on Punky in an empty apartment. Cherry comes in and like has met Punky somehow. Cherry lives in the same apartment building. And Mrs. Johnson is outside the apartment looking for Cherry. So Henry arrives. We find out he's the property manager. And he has this exchange with Mrs. Johnson that's actually kind of rude. It falls real flat. That did not age well. Like, he's super rude. And, like, again, like, I sort of always feel, like, sort of body shaming and, like, weight-based jokes are still really prevalent in things that are supposed to be funny. But wow, I didn't realize how prevalent they yeah, were. It happens a couple of times throughout the episode. It does. It's super cringy. I'm just like, come on, ew. Mrs. Johnson tells Henry, you know, I'm hearing like noises from this apartment. Someone could have broken in. You need to see what's up. Okay, I'm, I was totally laughing at that part because the people upstairs from me, that apartment's vacant. And sometimes I swear at like 9.30 at night, I hear stuff and I'm like, who's up there? What are they doing? <laughs> maybe it's Punky finds a home. Maybe, maybe. <gasps> maybe you could be her Mr. Warnemont. Uh, there is not room in this apartment <laughs> for a child. <laughs> Henry sees Cherry leave the apartment and he's like, what is going on? And he goes in there and Punky is, oh my God, flash dancing to Maniac. Right. <laughs> Funny story. So again, I went to a Christian school and Maniac was a really popular song in the second grade. Mm-hmm. Like flash dance was just everywhere. And there was a kid who would sing Maniac all the time on the playground. He got literally spanked with a wooden paddle. Right. Do you remember that principal? By our principal. Public school, my principal had a paddle. I was really? not allowed to be paddled. Ooh. Yeah, like it, this used to be a thing. So Hank comes in and sees her and he's like, What are you doing here? And um, he asks her, like, Did you run away? Are you hungry? And she doesn't want to like give him information. And he invites her in to eat, and his apartment is dusty and dark and sad and cluttered. so cluttered. There's so much pattern. That couch. The couch, the pillows, the Afghans, so many dusty Afghans. Oh, the Afghans, though. Didn't we all have, like, at least one of those Afghans? But even Henry's linoleum in his kitchen is, like, a busy-ass flower mm-hmm. pattern. It, there is just pattern everywhere. Right. Which is interesting because he's been a bachelor, like, since his wife had passed away very early. Yeah, like um, a month after they were married. Yeah, something like that. So, like, he's been a bachelor most of his life. So, it's not like some, like, old lady decorated the space and, and then, then died, died or, like, divorced him. Yeah, it was this weird. This is his space. I don't know. He, he likes a, a Victorian garden, if you will. Right. So, he tells her, all I need in this world is my camera. And she's like, that's sad. And he asks her, where's your family? Her father walked out on her and her mom. And her mom told her, hey, we're going to take a trip. So they packed up the car and they drove to Chicago and they went to a shopping center and her mom left and said she'd be right back and freaking never returned. And like how many of us were left in cars at shopping centers as kids? Like all the time, totally normal. This level of magical thinking hurt me because this is how a seven or eight year old would process this. She's Mm -hmm. like, maybe my mom forgot about me. 
One day she'll come back and we'll live in a big mansion with bunk beds. But like somewhere in your brain, oh. you're like, somebody could forget about me for this long. It could happen. Oh, like that's heartbreaking. So both my parents worked and I was at daycare in the morning. I was the first kid there and I was the last kid picked up. It just is the way that it worked. Both my parents had terrible commutes. And one time I was at daycare after school and it was closing time. And my dad thought my mom was picking me up and my mom thought my dad was picking me up and nobody came. And let me tell you, I was probably Punky's age. I was really scared. I was like, my parents died. I don't know. I I was really, it wasn't even like they forgot about me. Like, oh, they're running late. Like my mind immediately went to, oh my God, my parents died. And I was an only child. So I didn't have like a sibling with me to be like, it's okay. Like, I don't know. It was scary. Well, one time when I was, I don't know, like six years old, I had a friend come over to play and her mom was supposed to come pick her up. And then like, was way, way later than she was supposed to be. And of course, being like, you know, six-year-olds who were in a very totally safe situation were like, maybe she won't come and we can be sisters. <laughs> the darkest, most magical thinking ever. <laughs> right? Like, we were like, really? Um, you can have this half of my room. I'll literally. share this with you. <laughs> and when the reality of it, Katie, was the fact that her mom couldn't get to a payphone. That's what right, it was. Because nobody had a cell phone. Back. Like, just, there was an accident on the 10 and she couldn't get where she was going. Right. Henry's like, okay, well, we need to call the police. We need to find your mother. And then Punky falls asleep on the couch. Then we see Henry in his photography studio the next day. I guess he called the cops. I don't know. He gets a call from the oh, he police. he has a friend who's a detective and he calls his friend. Yeah, I saw that. But like, wouldn't you just take the child down to the police station? I mean, this whole part of the storyline is really where you have to do a lot of suspension of disbelief. <laughs> because in reality... He just goes to work the next day. <laughs> if you find a child that's been abandoned, like I can give him like letting her sleep sure. for the night. Like, okay. Feed her, let her sleep. Right. But then like at this point, then I start to worry like, am I going to get in trouble because I didn't report this? That's exactly my point. Like you don't call your friend who's a detective. You're like, let's file this. Right. Like you call and you're yeah. like, hey, I don't know how th that whole process works, but I imagine that you can't just keep that kid if you aren't in their system already. They have to do background checks. They have For to, like, sure. Because technically at that point, they're a ward of the state and then the state's responsible for the space that they're in. Of course. So if you're, if they don't know anything about you, they can't just be like, Sure, go ahead. Hang out with this person that's not related to you. So if you didn't already know, if you encounter a punky, call the authorities right away. That's the right thing to do. Right. But Mrs. Johnson comes in with Cherry and Punky, and they are sophisticated ladies. <laughs> and they are all dressed up in hats and jewelry and heels and dresses and boas and all of this costume goodness. I remember this scene so well, because they put on a photo shoot and that is a dream come true. This was my dream as a child right? to like, just get to do like crazy costumey, fun, sophisticated photo lady photo shoot. Right. Henry finally decides, okay, one picture. Cause he's so crotchety. And I mean, in fairness to Henry, like, you know, film costs money. Henry gets in on the fun and there's an adorable picture that Punky takes of Henry where she's like holding his cheeks into a smile and it's just delightful. 
Then we cut to Punky in the apartment trying to earn her keep. It's this idea that if I'm good enough, he'll keep me, which is heartbreaking. It is. Mrs. Johnson tells Henry, I think Punky should live with you. They haven't found her mom yet. Like, you should keep her. Since they seem unconcerned about where she actually is in this moment. Super weird. Henry comes in the apartment and he's like upset. It's clean and organized. And Punky washed his pipes. Oh, like his smoking pipes. Yeah, his smoking pipes. pipes? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But that's a scene I totally remember. And maybe it was in the opening credits. I think it was. Punky has made the place her own. She's organized it. She hangs a poster of Michael Jackson on the wall. Oh, the Michael Jackson poster. (laughs) Henry's upset because Punky has put out a picture of his deceased wife. Yes. And that is not for other people to look at. It's not. And it hurts him to look at her. His light has been dim for a very long time. He asked Punky, do you want to be here with me? And she's like, I like you. I think underneath your grumpiness is a good guy. Sorta. I don't know why he asked her, do you want to be here with me? Because he's like, I'm too old and set in my ways to have a child around. Well, then why'd you ask? I mean, same, Henry. Same. (laughs) (laughs) And Punky's like, okay, well then, goodbye. And he's like, you'll stay tonight. And in the morning, I'll take you to the Department of Children's Services. And you'll be placed with a foster family. And she's like, I must be a terrible person. First, my father leaves. Then my mother ditches me. Now you're trying to get rid of me. Nobody wants me around. That's okay. I don't need anybody. I can take care of myself. And she leaves. And what's really sad about that is that they kind of nailed it in terms of her thinking. This is how children's brains work. Absolutely. Nobody's like, oh, my mom obviously was suffering from some kind of issue and left me. I mean, what does she know of the world at eight years old to know anything about all you know is about yourself so you're like it must be me I must have done something wrong right for this pattern to keep happening and yeah so heartbreaking I mean she says this and leaves and Henry's like punky wait and goes after her and it starts raining and he's looking for her for hours can't find her comes into the apartment soaking wet defeated where is she and oh she's there she's dry He's like, I thought you left. She's like, it was raining. Like, it was yeah, it's late. raining. Why would I be out there? And this is when he tells her that she can stay until they find her mom. So he makes a promise to her, which I thought was like, Ehh. right. He's an adult. He knows how the world works. And that, that I mean, he could say like, I'm going to try and keep you if right. I can, right. uh, but it might not be up to me. Which leads us to part two of Punky Finds a Home. And Fenster Hall. Henry tells Punky that he called the Department of Child Services. And again, he promises her that she can stay. No orphanage. He tells her straight up because she asks. And this is when social worker Andy arrives. She is played by Talia Balsam, who was once married to George Clooney. Whoa. Yeah. If she looks familiar to you, she played Roger Sterling's wife on Mad Men. And she was also in HBO's Divorce. So Punky tells her about her mom, Susan Brewster, and she tells her, I have to take you to Fenster Hall. You have to be there until we find your mom. And oh, uh, Brandon can't come. And Henry's like, no, you can't take her. And Andy says, like, if I have to have the police escort me back here to take Punky, that's what I have to do. And Punky has to say goodbye to Brandon. And she tells her dog, take care of Henry. He's kind of a mess without me. And she takes their framed picture and leaves. Katie, I used to talk to my cat, Muffin. Remember Muffin? I do. You used to make Muffin do all kinds I of did. tricks. I did. Oh, my God. 
Pouncer, Pouncer, the Wonder Cat. Yeah. I wrote a song for Muffin. Like Muffin was my people. And I used to talk to Muffin all the time when I was going through hard things. Do people not talk to their pets about their hard times? I still talk to my pets about my hard times. (laughs) Me too. Like Vito is an excellent listener. At Fenster Hall, she's brought in to share a room with Lisa, who's an older kid played by Robin Lively, who is Blake Lively's sister. Huh. And hey, Robin Lively was also in Karate Kid 3 and, oh, a little film we like to call Teen Witch. Right. And a younger girl named Mary who likes to hug her dolly and doesn't talk. So it's tough in Fenster Hall. Like, Punky has to assert herself with Lisa, and she earns Lisa's respect. So now it's okay. She's not being bullied anymore. But the social worker goes back to Henry's apartment and tells him, okay, look, there's a court hearing to determine her placement, and Punky would like to be with you, but I actually think she'd be better with someone else. She's kind of looking at the big picture, and and she doesn't know much at this point about Henry's relationship with Punky. I mean, we know better. But okay, the social worker doesn't at this point. Lisa tells Punky, you're not going to see Henry again. And your only way out is to like bust out of this joint. And so they concoct this plan and Punky escapes and she does the so long, Fenster, Punky Brewster's going home. Right. (laughs) And the studio audience cheers and applause and, you know, everyone's so excited that this child is escaping an orphanage. Okay. Right, right. This leads us to part three. So Henry and the social worker are still in Henry's apartment. And Henry's like, why can't I be Punky's foster parent? She's like, you've never raised a child. You're not married. And you're too old. Well, but keep in mind, this is the early 80s. I know. So Punky arrives home, surprise, and oh, crap, the social worker's there. Whoopsie. Henry tells Punky that she woke him up and made him feel happy. And he decides right then. He tells the social worker, I'm going to court to get custody. I'm not going to give up without a fight. And the studio audience goes wild. Yay, Henry. So in the courtroom, the social worker recommends that Punky be placed with Henry. And I guess it's a social worker for the other side. Is she an attorney? Who's this person who's opposing this so much? If she's like represents the state or who she represents, but man, does she argue for Punky not to go with Mr. Warnamon? She's like, he's too old, he's single, and his apartment is too small. <laughs> Which, you know what? We're going to circle back to this small apartment <laughs> when we get to the re- reboot because I have questions. <laughs> yes, we will. So the judge rules against Henry. The social worker, Annie, asks the judge to take back his judgment. Which is great. He's like, people don't take back their judgments. No one takes back their judgments. I hit the gavel. Like, it is done. But Punky reads a heartwarming letter she wrote to Henry. She says, I'll never, ever, ever forget you. I love you. Now, we learn in this scene in court, they've known each other three days. Right. It seems like this three episodes has been like at least three weeks, <laughs> but no, three it's days. Been three days. And he tells her he loves her too. I'm like, it's a little soon for that, but okay. Despite what I said about my apartment and being too old and set in my ways, I feel like if a needy child like found its way to me somehow and, you know, we formed a bond, I could see that happening in three days. I really could. Okay. Well, it does. So this is when the judge takes back his judgment 
and rules in favor of Henry. And now Henry has her. Applause. That is some strong punky power to get the judge to take back his judgment. It really is. I mean, punky found a home, you guys. With Henry. So the series ran for four more years. Yeah, some shit happened. Okay, but we're going to talk about the reboot. Yep. So a bunch of stuff happened and then a (laughs) bunch of years went by. And then we catch back up with Punky. And then Peacock gave us the gift of Punky Brewster, the reboot, which premiered on February 25th, 2021 on the Peacock Streaming Network. You can watch it now. We're going to talk about season one, episode one pilot. I'm just going to say, I set out to watch one episode. I watched the pilot. It was fine. There were some cute moments to it. Did I watch all 10 episodes? Yes, I did. Oh, see, I've only watched the intro, but I I definitely want to watch the next ones. Like, it interested me enough. I mean, was it good? I don't know. We can talk about the reviews, but before we do that, let's talk about the episode. So we're back with Punky, and Punky is in this super cool urban apartment with freaking exposed brick. It's so gorgeous, right? Right. It's very cool. And I thought to myself, is this Henry's apartment? Like the layout is The layout's the same. The door to the kitchen similar. is the same. Yes. The kitchen looks much larger. So but it's much the larger. same. The kitchen. Okay. I know this doesn't have anything to do with anything, but like I think the fridge is blue and the stove is. is red. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. It's yeah, it's I was like, this is a really cool apartment. The apartment is so colorful. It's really if you imagined the apartment Punky Brewster would grow up to live in, it would be this. There are just loads of like super cool framed pictures on the wall. And we see Punky and she's in overalls and a bandana belt. Yeah. Looking like a cool chick. And she says good morning to a framed picture of Henry on the wall. And she begins talking to him while she arranges her camera bag. Punky takes pictures. And she talks about how hard it's been because she's working full time and raising three kids on her own. We learn later that she was actually a photojournalist for a long time, that she learned from Henry. She became a photojournalist. But then because she wanted to be able to have more time with her kids and be home more, she's now like wedding and and portrait and kind of, yeah, a photographer. Yeah. So Punky's teen daughter, I think she's like 15, Hannah Mm -hmm. comes in and Punky tells her like, I'm in a funk. Somewhere along the way, I lost myself. I miss me. I'm ready for the next chapter. Time to focus on myself and my needs. And oh, Punky has a dog. It's named Brandy. Brandy. Yeah. It's a golden. So Punky goes to walk Brandy and Hannah's like, mom, you're wearing two different shoes. She's wearing two different colored Converse. Converse. And Punky's like, oh, haven't done that in a while. Still works. Uh, Applause. The studio audience laugh track, the applause. It's rough for me. I struggle. Yeah, that's never been my favorite. Her daughter's like, you need to get back out there, mom. You need a dating app. Dad is dating a 27-year-old. And then we meet Punky's two other kids. They come in, two sons. They come in arguing. We learn that she adopted both boys. So Diego is the older one. And they're siblings, right? Yeah, they're siblings. And Daniel is the younger one. Which, by the way, if you are ever, like, considering opening your home to foster kids or adopting foster kids, like, siblings, they try really hard to keep them together. Mm -hmm. So just consider that and what a powerful thing that that is to like let those siblings into your home and And maintain a family. family. Yeah, absolutely. Cherry arrives. She comes and she brings Punky wine and she brings her a hug. 
She is like the friend we all want. Honestly, if Lori lived in my same town, I'm pretty sure that would be Lori. It would be me. I would be your cherry, but instead I'm your Lori and we don't live close, but that's okay. But this is interesting. So I guess she's like a social worker now for Fenster Hall. Yeah. Right. She's grown up to be a social worker. She works at Fenster Hall. So she asks Punky to come to Fenster Hall and take some pictures of the kids, like for the website or whatever. And she tells her, there's this new kid that I need to introduce you to. Like, she reminds me so much of you. And so we see Punky at Fenster Hall, and she's introduced to Izzy, who is precocious and wild, and she is hell-bent on busting out of there. Like, she doesn't want to be a Fenster just like Punky. She's a little much. So I have to say, I quite enjoyed Izzy's character. Did you? And one of the things that I appreciated, I mean, she's a little bit over the top, right? But Punky was a little bit over the top too. For sure. What I appreciated is that like, even though she shares sort of some, a lot of commonalities with Punky, they didn't recreate Punky. Like she has her own kind of vibe to her. She's not as like happy-go-lucky as Punky was. Like she doesn't have that like. She's more cynical. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't see things nearly as sunny as Punky did as a child who went through abandonment. And we learn later, Izzy went through abandonment. So she's a little bit more like streetwise, maybe. She's a little mouthier. Yeah, she's like more cynical. And like, I I just thought it was interesting, like, because it would have been really easy to create like a mini Punky. I still feel like they did, but I see what you're saying. I don't find Izzy particularly charming. I actually find her really exhausting. I do have a great appreciation for sort of spunky, particularly like little girls. Like, I don't know why, but like the little girls that that sort of go against the grain a little bit, yeah. like they're very dear to my heart. Izzy does that and Punky yeah. did that. And so Cherry basically asks Punky to foster Izzy for a few days because there's a family interested in her, but she's going to run. And I'm just going to say, I feel like this was kind of selfish on Cherry's part. Mere hours ago, she brought Punky wine and she came to hug her because Punky is so overwhelmed Overwhelmed. in her life. And then Cherry's like, do it for Izzy. You were like Izzy at some point. Izzy needs a home. It's just for a couple of days. Give a little more, Punky. But you know, there are times in your life where you're really overwhelmed If somebody said, here's this thing that's going to happen in your life, when would you like it to happen? And you would be like, wow, not now. And yet sometimes those things happen in those very moments and they turn out to be really great. But like the timing was really odd and you're like, why did this happen right now? I agree. Punky's like, I'm going to call a family meeting with my kids to see how they feel about it. And the kids are like, no, no, you're not going to bring someone into this house. This has to be a family decision. And the kids are like, no. And she's like, oh, well, here she is. Too bad. We're doing it. So it's like, why'd you ask? All of a sudden we see Travis. Who's Travis? He's in the kitchen making breakfast in the morning. Wait, but who is Travis? Who's the actor that Well, plays it's Travis? Freddie Prinze Jr., my friend, who oh. is married to your beloved Buffy. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. I was like, who is this person? He looks really familiar. He looks really different than I remember him, but... She's all that, baby. There we go. Travis is Punky's ex-husband, and he's back from tour, and he just... There are no boundaries. I. This is a very confusing relationship. He's in their kitchen. Punky comes in, gives him a kiss, like, hi, honey. And then she's like, oh, like, you're not supposed to be here, Travis. Like, we're divorced. What are you doing here? He's like, I'm just making breakfast for the kids. 
for me, the most interesting thing in this series was the will they, won't they between Punky and Travis. There's still chemistry between these two. They're divorced now. Punky's out to rediscover herself and her Punky power. But that was the thing that actually kept me watching Mm -hmm. because I enjoyed the chemistry on screen between these two more so than maybe even Punky and Izzy. Yeah, no, they, it is fun to watch the two of them. And I mean, probably also because they're familiar to us, right? Like, I feel like I'm much more interested in Sherry and Punky and Travis yes. uh, because they're people that I know. I mean, you know. Good point. Travis is back from tour and he wants to be more involved with the family now. He hasn't always been a great parent. So he's here to make up for lost time. Cherry tells Punky that she got a couple approved to foster Izzy. They decide to do the handoff at Punky's apartment, and the couple is very, like, straight-laced and not a great fit. Put her, like, in boarding school and, like, book up all of her free time with, like, piano lessons and sports things, and uh, it's just not a good match for Izzy. It's not a good match, and because Punky sees so much of herself in Izzy, she's having a hard time letting Izzy go, and they do have a really beautiful and tender moment in Punky's treehouse, that magical treehouse. Would you have died for that thing? Right. So cool. Yeah. They have a heart to heart. She tells a story about a mother who is in a burning building with her baby and is not being able to be rescued and can't get out. And that when she realizes there's nothing else she can do, she leans out the window and drops the baby into the arms of a firefighter. Right. And she says it's that she realized the best thing she could do for her baby was to let somebody else save her, essentially take care of her. And Izzy's like, well, my mom wasn't in a fire, but it is an interesting metaphor. Clearly something was going on. I thought that was actually a really lovely way of explaining that because It's true. I don't think that anyone abandons their child unless they are going through something really severe and and hard to cope with. And sometimes it is, even if they don't acknowledge it or, you know, wouldn't verbalize it that way, that there is some sense of like, I can't do this. I mean, ideally, please don't abandon your child like in a parking lot. (laughs) You're going to do that. Like a safe haven. But we also sometimes don't make that easy for people to do. Well, I'm sure that there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with that too. But I mean, much like Punky, when she was talking to Henry saying like, nobody wants me, I must've done something wrong. Izzy told her like, I need to find my mom so I can tell her that I'm sorry for making her leave me. Right. For whatever I did that made her For whatever I did. And Punky tells her like, you didn't do anything wrong. I'm here to tell you from my own experience, you didn't do anything wrong. But she does say, sooner or later, you need to stop running and take a chance on someone. Right. Which mimics a line in the first Punky where she looks at Brandon and she's like, we got to start trusting somebody sometime. It's true. It's a throwback. Punky can't let Izzy go to this couple and she's not going down without a fight. And this was a little bit rough for me. Like Punky tells her, you helped me rediscover my Punky power. And there's a lot of Punky power talk throughout this episode. And it, I mean, call it what you will, right? Like the rediscovery of yourself and all of these things. But it's just, it's a little cheesy for me, but like, okay. It's totally cheesy. And the fact that her kids want Izzy to stay so bad, 
I'm like, that's kind of rough for me too, because I feel like that transition to have another kid in this space, which suddenly the apartment has gotten large. I would have really appreciated if they had just (laughs) thrown in just for like, to make it like that maybe she bought the apartment next door. Because as far as I understood it, Henry's apartment was two bedrooms. Right. And I thought, well, maybe what happened was like when she got divorced, she redid this like that, like Henry left her the apartment and she like redid the apartment for them to live in when they got divorced. But then Travis is like, no, I used to live here. Exactly. Five of them lived in what was Henry's tiny little apartment, which no longer looks tiny. The social worker for the other side of Punky Finds a Home Part 3 told us, Henry, your apartment's not big enough for two people. There are now a million kids living in this apartment. Like maybe they took the apartment upstairs and built a staircase and that's where the bedrooms are. I like it. I don't know. They don't show it. All I know is they do show the boy's bedroom at one point and it's massive. They share a room. That's why I'm saying upstairs. They just turned the upstairs (laughs) into the upstairs. That was a little rough for me too. Like, I don't mean to get caught up on the details, but like I'm caught up on the details, whatever. It's a thing. Then at the end of the episode, you guys, oh my God. Punky gets a phone call from her mom. Mom. <gasps> Susan Brewster, where have you been? I'm like, but is it Susan Brewster? Is she being scammed like an Annie? <laughs> well, I suggest you watch ahead. I know how it ends, but I'm not going to spoil it for you good people. But I will tell you, the reviews aren't great, but I want to know, what'd you think? This is how I feel about it. Is it like award-winning television? <laughs> No. Did I expect it to be award-winning television? Nope. Okay, fair. I expected it to be a fun, nostalgic trip down memory lane. Now, I did see one of the reviews uh, that the Hollywood Reporter said, it's nostalgia neutral and quality neutral as well. I think that's a little harsh. Like, there is nostalgia. I do tend to feel like the pilot episode of any show. I will say, I think it got better. I don't think it ever got great. And Variety said, that's all to say that while the show isn't exactly new or groundbreaking, as so many savvy viewers perhaps expect a comedy to be these days, Punky's rainbow lens goggles and penchant for finding the joy in life may be the fare that ragged families everywhere need right about now. And I didn't watch this with my family. I have two boys, 13 and 18. They're not here for Punky Brewster. But I feel like it could have been a little edgier, to be honest with you. IndieWire graded it a C. They graded it average. They said, in the end, Punky Brewster definitely has an uphill battle to stand out from the endless reboots, which is probably true. There's a lot of rebooting happening right now. Right. They said, compared to Peacock's other revival, Saved by the Bell, this retread does feel toothless and safe. But if you're looking for family entertainment with a dependable cast, this will work. It's a fine it's regular. It's medium. It's medium. <laughs> I'm just going to say, though, that like after the year that we have all had, I think there's something to be said for something that's toothless but safe. It's just sort of the general consensus. The Wall Street Journal said much of Punky Brewster would be funnier or perhaps even endearing if it weren't trying quite so hard to be both. And I kind of agree with that. I think if this gets picked up for a season two, 
I think they'll begin to come into their own a little more naturally. They need to do a reboot of the Halloween episode. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what is it? The Perils of Punky? What is that episode right. called? <laughs> With Alan's face. Oh, my God. Well, you know what's fun? Margot makes an appearance. Does she? In a later episode. Alan does not, but Margot does. And that was kind of fun. The thing that I appreciated the most, Soleil Moon Fry completely commits to this role. She commits to the spirit of what the original Punky Brewster was. She said, like, I really hope that the generation who grew up with Punky Brewster loves it and that this new generation loves it just as much. Punky forever. You can call me Punky forever. Truly. You know, I didn't have like grand expectations. I wasn't expecting this to be award-winning television. I just was expecting it to be something enjoyable and fun and, you know, throwback to a show from my youth. Well, I am wondering if this gets picked up for a season two, is it going to go the way of OG Punky season two and tackle some really tough issues? Because Lord, there's a lot to talk about now. Are going to start living through a global pandemic? It would be interesting to know. You know, they're all over like the social with her daughter, the social media aspect of things and like dating profiles. And so they're talking about things, you know, from a really sort of current lens. What has been left out of it is perhaps the true current event issues. But Mm -hmm. I can see that Punky would be the kind of person that would be involved with social justice issues and things like that. So it will be interesting to know if they have an opportunity for season two, what that's going to look like. Yeah. And I think that they have sort of the, that the characters and and what they could potentially build on is there. Like they could do that if they chose to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe they decide to like have her go back to being a photojournalist and, you know. Ooh, I like it. Tackling like the tricky things happen. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, really, if you wanted to do like a current day, like these are things people are, you know, dealing with in their lives. Think about how over the last year, photojournalists have been involved in documenting so much of the unrest that's been going on. And that would be an approach to it if they really wanted to kind of get back into that idea of like, yeah, we're going to cover like What's happening? It's interesting, too, because we learn in later episodes that Travis says no to a tour to stay home, to be with the kids. And Punky doesn't want him to have to sacrifice his dreams. And so if Punky is now rediscovering her Punky power, what does that look like as a mother? While she's now fostering Izzy in addition to being a mother to three children. And don't you think that, like, carrying this idea forward, like, this is something that women in this phase of their life who have been mothers are kind of experiencing. I mean, I I can't really speak to this because I haven't been a mother, but I have a lot of friends who are. And I think that there is sort of this, you know, when your children are little, it's so all-consuming and they need so much of your attention. And then as they start to get older, I find that, like, my women friends are like, okay, now I have time to think about who I am. Who am I? What do I want to do? And so getting to watch Punky on that journey really could be powerful and cathartic, but it it will require a step up in terms of like the gritty portion of the show. And would it be interesting to see the reality of, even though she had great support from Henry, even though she had all of that, like to acknowledge that like the trauma from your childhood sometimes creeps back in? Absolutely. 
Soleil Moon Fry is a documentarian and she has actually directed films before and she directed and produced a film called Kid 90. It just premiered on Hulu March 12th. It is a documentary about child stars growing up and Leonardo DiCaprio is an executive producer on it. In the 90s, Soleil Moon Fry carried a video camera everywhere. And good on her. They were huge back then. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, this isn't some bullshit Laney, terrible footage from Reality Bites. Like, <laughs> it's better than Laney's footage, but whatever. She was still a kid, too. The group of child stars were all friends. I mean, we're talking right. David Arquette, Balthazar Getty, Brian Austin Green, Stephen Dorff, Mark Paul Gosler, uh, Jonathan Brandis. Soleil Moon Fry carried around her camera and she captured all of it. And it's all in this documentary. I haven't seen it yet, but like literally I'm going to go watch it after this podcast. I'm so yeah, excited I'm to see it. I'm super excited. I didn't know it, that it existed until you told me about it. And I'm like, I can't wait. I'm going to go turn it on right now. <laughs> Probably some of the footage is super cringy, right? Like imagine right. if your friends had a camera in the 90s. Oh my gosh. Aren't you so glad that like <laughs> came of age in a time where it's not... Oh, forever documented on a social media account. It's not documented on social media, but it is documented on neatly folded origami notes up in my garage right now. Have them all. But good on you, Soleil Moon Fry. Thank you for bringing Punky back and all of your glorious Punky power. I do recommend that you go and watch Pilot and see if you're inspired to binge all 10 episodes because I did. Yeah, I mean, I plan to. Even though I felt much like IndieWire, who graded it a C, I still watched it. Hey, man, C's get degrees. C's get degrees. Thanks so much for joining us. If you can't wait to hear more, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And just a friendly reminder, you can find us online at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.